Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Good morning. So good to see all of you, and welcome to all of you that are sitting in your living rooms. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome. We're so glad you could tune in with us today. So, here we are. Last time we were together, we were talking about deception, and we were working through check yourself or self-deception. And just to recap that maybe a little bit briefly, You know, we talked about moral relativism and how your personal truth and lived experiences can often determine your version of what's right and wrong. And it's really important as Christians for us to constantly go back to the Word of God and the cross so that we can check ourselves to make sure that our personal experiences and our perceptions don't create an alternate version of what's right and wrong opposite of what the Creator has set up in His Word. And then we went through, this creates a distorted moral compass if you're not going to the Word of God. And that can, and I think my wife was talking about how people often like to recreate the Ten Commandments with their own version, you know? So, you know, thou shalt not steal, except when. (laughs) And uh, we we don't have the ability really to do that. We can, but it's not healthy. Um, And then we learned from the life of Absalom, David's son, that he had a lack of justice for what happened to his sister Tamar. Um, She was raped by her half-brother, and David, the king, didn't deal justice in that situation, so he became a vigilante, and he went out and he murdered his brother, half-brother, and ultimately he rebelled against the authority of the king, and in the end he ended up dead um, with darts in his chest. Uh, We ended somewhere around the concept of uh, your lived experiences should not determine your perception of right and wrong. It's the Bible that determines our perception of right and wrong. We go to the cross and we lay down our lives daily. And I want to pick up today in the book of Judges. Uh, It's probably one of the most difficult sequences in the Bible to read and to stomach. And uh, in, this, in this passage, it starts with, I want to frame it in Judges 17, 6, and it says, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Can everyone say whatever seemed right in their own eyes? And see, what happens is anytime that mankind starts doing what's right in their own eyes because of sin, we start drifting towards lawlessness and all kinds of evil things happen. All kinds of terrible things happen. And this passage is recording what happened to the nation of Israel when people started doing what's right in their own eyes, and it's very depraved. It's it's actually a horrible uh, reference in history of the nation of Israel. It's a dark place. It's a dark time. And it starts with um, this man (laughs) who stole a lot of money from his mother. And... uh, Then later he comes and says, hey, mom, here's the money back. I stole it from you. And she's like, oh, Lord, bless you. And then she takes some of the silver he stole and she has it shaped or formed into an idol. And then they start worshiping this idol as their form of worship to God. And what they did is Israel with 
if they're not looking to God, they're going to look to the nations around them, which were the Canaanites at that time, and they started blending worship of the Creator with worship of the Canaanites, and they came up with a hybrid way to worship the Creator, even though that wasn't how He instructed them to worship Him. And as a result of that, He even went out and got His own personal priest. He hired a Levite to come and <laughs> represent Him to God as they worshiped this idol in His own house. And then it kind of goes from bad to worse. Uh, the next story that you see in the book of Judges, chapter 17, um, after the false worship, was there was this Levite that had a concubine, and she went with her father, and he went back to get her. And on the way back, they stopped at this city, and all the men in the city came out to actually get to know him, um, in the biblical sense of the word no. They wanted to have sexual relations with this man. And rather than go face these guys and say, no, thank you, or deal with that, he put his concubine out there, and they abused her and mistreated her all night, and she ended up dead on his doorstep in the morning. So then, as the pagans would often do, he cuts her up and sends her all over the nation, right, so that everyone would gather, and then there's a civil war in Israel, and they wipe out one of the tribes except for 600 people. See, men can't govern themselves outside of God. Lawlessness... It's, it's creating a lot of problems here in the nation of Israel. And then it goes even further because after there was 600 left, they're like, well, this one city didn't come help us fight against these guys that did this horrible thing. So they went and they killed everyone in that city except the young ladies. And they gave 400 of them to the men that were left. And there was still 200 men without wives. So they said, well, you guys can go kidnap someone and then take her to be your wife. Isn't that horrible? That's got to be the most horrible sequence. Moral depravity. That's got to be the most horrible sequence of things that I've heard, you know. And what happened was it ends in Judges 21, 25. See, there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So mankind left to themselves, you know, um, it's always going to produce, let me, let me put it this way, idolatry is the result okay, the end result of people doing what's right in their own eyes. We end up with idolatry, just like we saw. As Christians, we can't take our eyes off Christ, because as soon as you do, you're going to start struggling with your identity. And there's a lot of Christians that we see today, they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know who called, God called them to be. They don't understand how they're supposed to operate in Christianity, because they're not looking to Jesus. They're looking to the culture to try to answer life's questions. And then we have all these idols that come up in their hearts. Hebrews 12 actually addresses this in verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Nobody gets tripped up by sin sometimes. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before this. We do this, how? How do we do this? We keep our eyes on Jesus. When you're looking at Jesus, you're not going to have any idols on the throne of your heart because you're looking at him. When you're laying your life down at his feet every day and you're surrendering, and it says, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated at a place of honor before the Father. So we as Christians have this obligation. We have to look to Jesus and we can't look at the things around us. We have to look to Jesus because if we look to ourselves, guess what the conclusion's going to be? You're not going to like the conclusion. 
Look what happened in Judges. And I mean, a very short amount of time when the judges stopped, Samson, Samson died. No more judge in Israel, no more king. Guess what? People went into all kinds of false religions and practiced idolatry and all kinds of horrible things happened. Today in our culture, let's talk about some of the things that we see as a result of people, the fruit of them doing what's right in their own eyes. Here's, here's a big one that seems to be a hot button topic right now, abortion. It's really at the end of the day, it's the fruit of people choosing to do what's right in their own eyes. And you know, I'll qualify, in Christ we know there is forgiveness and mercy for anything that we've done before we come to Christ. We, you know, we come to Christ, we work it out, we get forgiveness. And it's not a conviction, I mean, it's not a condemnation thing, but what I want people to understand is the ability to take the innocent life is only present because people decide that they're gonna do what's right in their own eyes. And they're not going to listen to what God has to say in his word, where he sets the moral standard that life is sacred and life is holy. The next one that we're dealing with in our culture right now is racism. It's the fruit of people doing what is right in their own eyes. Humans are made in the image of God. We got to understand this. And racism is people treating different reflections of God's image and his glory as less than yourself. This goes against Jesus' command to love God first and to love your neighbor as yourself. We do not have the option to redefine God's truth and mistreat people. All of mankind is made in God's image. And then the third one that I wanted to talk about right now is just an example of this, is sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant. It's a result of people doing what is right in their own eyes. See, when mankind sets the standard for righteousness, there is no standard. Because everybody does what they want right to do, what feels own, right for them. That's right. That just doesn't feel <laughs> right for good, me. Feels good, do it, you know? That's, that's what happens. And the Bible's very clear on sexual immorality. It's on sex outside of the marriage covenant. It's not really subject to your opinion. And people come, <laughs> well, it's okay if we do, you no, know, it's not okay. The Bible condemns it as sin, and it's going to hurt your relationship with God, and people don't understand sin separates you from God. It brings you down. We cannot create an image of God in our own eyes. We can't create a moral standard in our own eyes. We have to look to the Word of God, which is truth. Not That's to why mention there's so, so many natural consequences that come from. Yes, but we only have about an hour, not four. <laughs> <laughs> Only four hours? I think it would take longer than that. I, I'm really good at concise, though, right? So, <laughs> There's a way that which seems right to man and appears straight before him, but its end is the way of death. That's Proverbs 14, verse 12. And, and it seems right to mankind, but in the end, it produces destruction 100% of the time. Sin always produces destruction in your life. Sin never produces the fruit of the Spirit. I've never seen anyone in sin and they feel good about themselves. I mean, how many of you can lie to someone's face and you feel like you're doing okay? Can't do it? That's good. But the people they can, I have lots of concerns about them. <laughs> All right. Self-deification almost always follows self-deception. If you allow yourself to believe a lie, if you, if you allow yourself to believe things that are not truth, okay? So when you reject God's truth, you're deceiving yourself. 
when you believe the lie. But almost 100% of the time when people believe the lie, they put themselves in the place of God on the throne of their heart. And they become very selfish and self-serving. And it's all about their self-interest. It's all about their desires, their wants, whatever I want. I have my rights. I hear this all the time. We have rights, but I take my rights and I lay them down at the foot of the cross because I don't want my rights on the throne. I want Jesus on the throne. In Matthew 23, 12, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you are on the throne in God's place of your heart, you deify yourself and your ideas supersede his. What you're telling God is, God, in your book, your Bible that you wrote for us, you don't know what you were doing, you don't have any wisdom, even though you created the universe and spoke me into existence. I know better than you do, God. I mean, if anyone's had children that have grown up to the point where they can speak, you know, sometimes they kind of tell you that you don't know what you're doing. I appreciate your you don't opinion. Understand. <laughs> God must laugh at us humans sometimes. <laughs> but the truth is, if your desires trump his desires and your standard replaces his glorious standard for what is right, you fool yourself into believing you're okay, but really you're not okay. Didn't Lucifer start by putting himself on God's throne? Didn't he want to say, I will ascend, I want to be God? I want to take God's place. That was the whole motive of Lucifer. He wanted to do self-deification, the result of deception. And then in Revelations chapter 3, verse 17, he's addressing the church at Laodicea, and he says, you say I'm rich. I have everything I want, and I don't need a thing. And you don't realize you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This church that he's addressing, they deceived themselves into thinking that they were okay. Specifically, they were too comfortable. They were apathetic. They were, <laughs> they were lukewarm in their faith. They weren't all in for God. You know, the people that have one foot in the church on Sunday and the other foot on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in the world? Lukewarm. Yeah, God's vomit, that's where it ends up. He spits them out of his mouth. The challenges we have in the church today look a little different than they used to. You know, right now, you know what they're telling us, the, the experts are telling us for churches? Here's the great challenge we're gonna have today. It's easy after 40 days of having no gathering for people to roll out of bed in their pajamas, hi all of you, <laughs> grab their cup of coffee. <laughs> And there's not a lot of motivation, you know, in a lot of ways for them to come into fellowship with their fellow believers. And you know what? We're working, we're working on launching Kids Church. We're going to try to open July 5th, the nurseries. Um, you could probably follow us on our Facebook page for kids, kids at WCF. Okay. And, and what happens is, though, we're going to reopen things step by step as we have volunteers and people that come in and embrace the process. I can serve. I will watch the children so that other people can go down the hall. And if everybody does their part, we'll be able to reopen so we can get all the parents of young children back. And, you know, I commend you that bring your young children in. But when we had young children, my kids, I don't know why, they just didn't like sitting in their chairs. If they were sitting there right now, they'd be running all over the place despite our best efforts. They were active, they were energetic. And, um, but my point is, we were made for connection with others, Amen. okay? 
And it's great that we have the convenience that we can do this, and in tough times and in times of sickness or where people aren't safe or their health is challenged, we want to be able to minister to them remotely. And we've been working really hard on upgrading our ability to do that with our stream and our audio and our video. But what happens is there's nothing that's going to replace the face-to-face -face connection with other people. Absolutely, that's right. And we need that in the body of Christ. So for us right now, a lot of times the, the culture is really trying to silence the church, but I think it's time for the church to arise. So there's one other thing I just really feel that as Pastor RJ was uh, talking, that this morning in worship, um, as Jessica was ministering, and she was talking about... Um, and just encouraging those of you who feel um, anxious and worried, uh, especially in these times. So I, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is, is really wanting to encourage us here today and to renew your mind to the thought that worry it is and can become, if not if left unchecked, an idol in your life. Because that has taken the throne uh, on your heart. That has taken the place of focus. It has taken the place of, of uh, what's leading and driving all of your decisions. And instead of God and Jesus sitting on the throne and you looking to him and having faith and believing that he is the one who is going to be taking care of you, he's the one. You know, we don't act in foolishness, we act in wisdom. But our Bible says that we are not to be worried and anxious. And all of the time that we're spending with worry at the forefront of our mind and anxiety at the forefront of our mind, that that time, how many would agree, would be well better spent in prayer. And just continually going before God. God, I trust you. I give this worry to you, God. Like There are times, especially now, come on, let's be real, all of us have been like, what is going on? Like, what's happening in this world right now? Lord, like, help. Help me. Like, what am I going to do with work and jobs and kids? <laughs> you're going crazy with kids at home. And you have to, you know, homeschool. And I don't know this math problem. Like, my gosh. You know, and, and you're, you want to communicate. You want to help them. And, you, and, and, and all of this, how can I handle all of this? It, we have to, instead of sitting down and just breaking down and going like, I'm going to lose it, like, okay, you know what? It is okay to be not okay, but we have to be okay at the foot of Jesus, oh, not okay at the foot of Jesus and letting him know that, okay, God, I know you got this. I know right now this fear is threatening to overcome me. This anxiety is threatening to overtake me. All, all of these thoughts I'm having right now, it is overcoming my mind so we have to be aware of our thoughts and bringing them back into the captivity of christ and setting at the throne of our heart and being careful that worry does not shift into an idol into our life amen okay so now here we go so as pastor rg was sharing about um how god is working and doing those things um in our lives and that how you know he's the one that is the moral lawgiver. He is the one who has an absolute standard. How many of you know that really there's no such thing as a half truth? Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah. That it's, it's like a, I don't know what kind of a phrase that is. It's not, it's, there's no white lie. It's a lie. It's, it's, it's simply a lie. 
So we have to, don't be deceived that share, the, the best lies actually always have truth in there. They always, because then they're more palatable. You can feel better about, oh, believing them because they seem to be coded with some truth. But it is a lie. So um, we want to be protecting ourselves and guarding our hearts against deception. And one of the ways that we do that, that God does that, is God does everything through, I don't hear enough people. Relationships. Relationships. Everything that he's doing, he does through relationships. And I say all the time on the opposite side, everything that the enemy is doing, he's doing through the power of relationship and connection as well. Deception, perversion, division, strife, quarreling, fighting, complaining, all of those things, the enemy does too. So but we have to remember that God, in his mercy, does all of those things in relationship with us. And in those relationships, especially in Christian ones, it's supposed to be iron that sharpens iron, strength that gives to strength. And we need to have those people in our lives that we surround us in our lives that have the ability to check ourselves, to check yourself. We need to recognize it's very important that we have those people in our lives that can speak to us the truth, what we need to hear, and not what we want to hear. They're the ones that we have a stability of connection and relationship with, that when they're telling us the things that we don't want to hear, we're not getting offended and go like, whatever, you don't know what you're talking about. Instead, because of that mutual respect that you have in the relationship, you're going to walk away from that and you're going to take what they have said and you're going to go, okay, God, let's, let's get real. Is this true? Do I, do I need to work on this? Like, are you like nicely bringing this, you know, to my attention? Because if left unchecked, it's going to come up again and not so nicely and in a way that you don't like. So we, are surround, we should be surrounding ourselves with those people in our life who are able to tell us the things that are difficult to hear. It's a way that we safeguard our hearts and we need to have accountability. Those are the people that we are accountable to that help keep us in place and help check us. And to the degree and the measure that you are willing to have that honesty in that relationship and that accountability in that relationship is the same degree and measure that you will grow. And those giftings and that talent will come up out of you because your charisma and your personality are only going to take you so far. It's the character of God that's shaped inside of you that will keep you when it's difficult. And, and we have to remember that your business is not supposed to be spread and told to everybody. But it's important that we recognize and have an awareness that we can be real, we can be authentic, we can be genuine with everybody that we meet. But we have to have a recognition and a knowing that intimacy, transparency, when I'm sharing my heart with somebody is to be only with a select few. That you have those intimate relationships. Jesus did that. He had his close inner circle. And he also was not afraid to challenge the thoughts, the concepts, the mindsets, and the traditions 
to get them to change the way that they think and to respond in a different way. Because really, it's how we respond to what's happening around us instead of reacting to what's happening around us. Because many of the times that reaction is coming out of an emotion or a feeling that we're having in that moment, and it's not a choice. But a response is more of, it's a choice. You're not acting out of emotion. You're behaving from a place of wisdom. You've got, you've got some wisdom. You've got some stability there. And it comes from when we have people in our lives who are able to tell us the truth. Like, I'm speaking to the ladies here. How many of you know if you want to go shopping with a girlfriend, when you go shopping with them, and you're like, does this dress look good on me? And you're like, no, girl, that does not do anything for you. You need to get, find a different dress. You want to have that trusted friend that's going to say, I want you to look good. Not somebody who you're going to go shopping with who's like your frenemy and going, oh, yeah, girl, you look good. <laughs> no, she looks horrible in that dress. You want somebody who's going to come up to you and say, honey, you've got like that stuff in your teeth, you know? Instead of you walking around with the lipstick on your teeth and you got all that stuff stuck in your teeth, you want those people in your life who are going to come alongside you and gently go, hey, you need somebody to help you with that. <laughs> what? Clear pulpit, zipper, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> in our thinking, God is working in our lives and working in the relationships that we have and that we surround ourselves with to kingdom thinking. We are to be in the world, but we're not supposed to be of it. So our thoughts, our perceptions, the way we think, our morality is, should be the complete opposite of what the world is thinking. So it needs, to, it needs to shift. And that comes when we surround ourselves with wisdom and, and good, trustworthy counsel. And if you want that good, trustworthy counsel in your life, it's intentional. You need to be prayerful and be asking the Holy Spirit who that is and be seeking that out. And you yourself, be someone's trustworthy counsel. Don't be spreading their business. You be somebody's loyal, trustworthy counsel that you are yourself guarding somebody else's heart. You are safekeeping somebody else's heart. You are part of pouring into them and, and helping them and mentoring. In the same way, you are holding yourself accountable to someone because it's undercover because God's kingdom is we work under authority, undercover. Under the umbrella of God's protection, we have covering. We have protection. We're under his authority. When we step outside of that, there is no protection and no covering. And we're left to the consequences that we have chosen because we've stepped outside of that. Amen? Proverbs eleven fourteen in the Amplified says, Where there is no wise, intelligent guidance, the people fall. And go off course like a ship without a helm. But in the abundance of wise, godly counselors, there is victory. There's a quote that I found that I read that is really good. It's very profound. It, it doesn't say who it's from, but, but it's not by me. But it was, it's excellent nonetheless. It says, truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. 
Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. How many of you know we need to speak truth to those who we are entrusted to and who have they entrusted their heart to us in love? We gently bring correction. Gently. Walking alongside each other. Not in judgment, but we gently come alongside encouraging and edifying and being a source of strength and help when we need it. And that we give permission. Now, if you don't have permission to speak into somebody's life, not a good idea. It's not your place. But you need to give permission to someone to protect yourself, to speak into your life in order to keep you safe or you leave yourself vulnerable. Amen? I think we have a drama right now that we want to show you. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The common denominator in my failed relationships is me. I'm just not lovable. I moved a lot as a kid, which meant that I was always on the outside of groups, and I grew to believe that I just wasn't nice enough to keep friends. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we listen to the words that were meant to deceive. Truth is, there's two sides to our experiences. There's our side and God's side. Which side are you going to believe? Truth is, words are very powerful and her can last a lifetime. But I'm not going to let the words of my past define who I am today. The truth is that God loves me and I won't let the mistakes of my past or the mistreatment of others define my worth today. The truth is, if I want to have friends, then I need to be a friend. I can't let my childhood experiences dictate the quality of my friendships today. So good. You know, people often judge you based on what's in their own heart. I was, I was thinking about this a few minutes ago. Often while we're up here, especially when we're together, I'm kind of following the chat on the stream and every now and then I'll have something to say so I'll answer someone. Or every now and then I want to communicate with the team upstairs because it's much easier than saying, okay guys, get ready, we've, we've moved the video now from here to here or something. It's just easier to text them. But you get judged all the time based on what's in your own heart and people say, well, why are you texting during service? Actually, I'm not. <laughs> I'm working, right? Like we're communicating with, with our team that way. But the standard by which you measure others, let me rephrase that, the standard by which you measure yourself often becomes the lens by which you measure others. And you see people through that lens. And then, because you see people through a lens, you presume that everybody is looking at you through that same lens. Within that context, it's often our own weaknesses that we see in other people. And you will often get accused of things by people, the very things that God's dealing with their own hearts on at that time. Matthew 7. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others, and the standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. 
And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye, hypocrite? First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now I have a, I have a log here. I'm going to stick it in someone's eye. Evelyn, would you help me? Yes, please help me. Well, come over here. Now, it's real easy. All you have to do is kind of stand over here and look at everybody for me. Now, tell me, when I put the log here, can you kind of see the people? No. How about here? You can see them, but there's a log in your field of vision. So anywhere you look, you're going to see the log, right? So would you say that that taints your perspective of all the people because the log's in the way? Hold on a second. I'm putting the log in my own eye. And I'm going to try to get the speck out of... Now, do you trust me to try to get the speck out of your eye when I have this in my eye? Not really, eh? I'm not going to do a very good job of that, am I? And, and what happens is, the Bible is telling us, judge your own heart first. And then, you know what? Gently, you can go and help your brother or your sister. Thank you for coming up here with us. Do you, do you see how that works? We have to judge. We have to deal with our own stuff first, and most of us have enough of our own stuff. Why are you so worried about what's going on in everyone else's life? Why are we so focused on what everyone else is doing? I think, you know, I laugh because we live in Canada, but a lot of Canadians pay more attention to U.S. politics than to Canadian. It cracks me up. Let's judge our own house before we worry about everyone else's. But see... Our worth comes from the Creator, and you have to allow His standard to determine your worth. Don't let your weakness paint your view of yourself or even your worldview. We look to the Scriptures, we judge ourselves, then we can be a blessing to others. And you know what? When you judge your heart rightly, you will gently go and help others. Did you catch that word, gently? And as my wife stated a minute ago, it's truth plus love together that helps. Because truth without love isn't healthy. And love without truth is very permissive. And what happens is together we're stronger. That's why in relationships with one another, we can grow in the things of God. It's part of discipleship. Yes, it is. Our life experiences are a very integral part of who we are. They help form shame our perspectives, our opinions, uh, the way we look at life. That being said, we have a lot sometimes of negative, negative experiences, especially if they're repeated over and over again with trauma and loss. Um, and tragedy and things that have happened over and over again and they can build up and they can get rooted really deep down in our hearts and sometimes we have to be really real we can't be dismissive of those things but when we become Christians in the same way it will take time and experience with God's love and his help that you begin to get rooted and grounded and grow in the love of Christ. And as you begin to be changed and transformed, you take your experience, you bring it to the cross, and it's 
more not about what this experience has done to you. It's about asking God the right question. Now, Lord, how do I respond to this? What do I do with all of this now? So how we respond as a Christian has to be the focus more than what we might see here on earth and the circumstance that might be deceiving us. And what we need to be focusing on is the cross of Christ and what, he, and what we're experiencing in God's truth as he's transforming the way that we think. It's so important that we understand that, you know, when we stand before God, at the end of time, we will all give account. We will all have to stand in judgment. And God is going to have in front of him two books. And one book he's going to have in front of him is the account of your life, the way you lived it, because God gave you a free will. He gave it to you as a gift and said, now, he didn't leave you all to yourself. You had the power to acknowledge him and ask him for help. The second book that God is going to be holding the, the first book to is his book, his story, the one that he wrote about you before you were even born, before the beginning of time. And he's going to compare the two and go, there's some gaps here. There's some discrepancies from yours to mine. There's a lot of stuff missing here. And God wants to get to you today that I promise you, he's saying, that you will like my story better than your story. If you will let me be the author of your book, if you will give me the pen, I promise you'll like your story a lot better. And when you stand in account to him, for personal obedience of what he asked you to do, because your story is your unique story. It's not supposed to look like anybody else's. It's not about comparison and competition, and that's how we get deceived. We need to be careful that when we are looking at things, that we hold them up to the standard of the cross and we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we have to be careful that when we are taking those experiences, we have to remember it takes time. Just as those negative experiences built up and they dug deep and for some of them got really rooted, and some of them you didn't even know the effect and influence they had on your life until God comes in and starts to begin to do some digging and a deep work in your life, those things take time. For some new roots to grow, for some digging, to, for new things to happen and some new roots to get healthy. You know, I want to just share with you a little little personal story, an experience. So as a little girl, for me, an experience that I had, and this is something I didn't even know that was of great importance or effect to me, was as a little girl, my dad didn't tuck me in. I didn't get tucked into bed. It was time for bed. You go to bed. Okay. Bed. Good night. When I married Pastor RJ, you know, we are different in many ways. One of the things that we are different in is he's a night hawk, and I like to go to bed at a reasonable hour. He stays up a little bit longer. It's a reasonable I mean, hour. he's gotten closer and closer to my bedtime, though, because he likes me. But when we I first got... I convinced her to stay up later. No, I don't think so. 
when we first got married, though, I, I needed to go to bed, man. I didn't want to stay up that late. But something that my loving husband did all the time was he would come and tuck me in. He would come and he would li- just lie down beside me and go, babe, I'm not tired yet, but I want to lay down beside you and we'll snuggle and, you know, until you, you know, you're almost there, ready to sleep and you're peaceful and you're relaxed. He would scoot away. And I did not realize how much I really needed that, that settling, that peace in my mind to be held and comforted in that peace as I was going to sleep. And I recognized that more when the nights he wasn't home, he was out late or he was traveling and I'm like, oh man, I'm having such a hard time settling. I'm not as peaceful as I normally am as when my husband is around. And that really helped me recognize some things about my own relationship with God, about how I was perceiving and viewing him. And even more so to continue God doing an even deeper work of healing in my life when we had children and RJ would go and he would tuck our girls in every night and he would say to them, I love you always and forever, unconditional. You're beautiful, brilliant, smart, and pretty. And he would pray with them and tucking them in at night. That, watching him do that for our daughters brought healing to me, to my heart. Even though I didn't get to have it, it brought such healing to me watching my husband give that comfort, that peace to my children. And, you know, they get older. And we had one of our daughters who, she's a a proclaimed self-tucker now. She can tuck her own self in bed. She doesn't need any tucking. But, you know... Over a period of time, she has realized that, you know, Dad, you're going to come say goodnight to me, right? Yes, sweetie, I'm going to come say goodnight. And there's a, they know, they can tell the difference in their, in their heart, in their soul before they go to bed. Just the presence of their dad coming in, affirming them, speaking to them, seeing them and recognizing who they are at night just to give them a hug and a kiss and say, I love you. Amen? It's the little things. Don't diminish the little things, little things like that that can get in, that God even sees that, and he will minister to that and bring healing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us, and we're going to do communion right now. So as we're standing here today, I just want to uh, explain a couple things real quick. Jesus came to earth to die for mankind's sin because sin was separating us from God. And what we as humans have to acknowledge and understand is that our sin was keeping us out of relationship with God. So when Jesus died as a sacrifice, he paid off our sin debt so that we could be made righteous and be back into relationship with God. And many people deceive themselves thinking that they have religion or they think they have relationship with God, but they've never repented of their sin. You can't receive Christ without repentance for sin. You can't receive Christ without faith. The Bible tells us you need to have faith Um, to believe what Jesus did at the cross so that you can receive forgiveness of sin and gain eternal life and be what the Bible says, born again. And right before we take communion, I just want to say a prayer with you all. And if you've never given your life to Christ, but you know you need to, just pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud if you like, or maybe everyone should pray it out loud at present. But Father, we thank you that you sent the Son to die for us and to make a way for us to be in relationship with you. I confess my sins, I confess my sins 
And I ask you to forgive me. I thank you that the blood of Jesus paid my sin debt. So save me, God. Heal me, God. And restore me to wholeness so that I can be your son or daughter. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to break bread together and receive communion. We thank you, Lord, that you are ministering right now. Your Holy Spirit is going forth. You are the great physician. You are bringing healing to everybody. You are healing every sickness and every disease. You are bringing clarity of thought and mind. You are lifting heaviness and oppression. You bring peace to our mind and hearts that pass all understanding, God. I thank you, Lord, that you are the great provider, that you are the one who has delivered us, who has made a way for us to have relationship with you. Father, we thank you that we can approach the cross of Christ with no barriers. We thank you that we have personal relationship, personal access to you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you because of that there, the place of truth is. I thank you that the veil of deception in all of our hearts would be lifted. And that as we truly humble ourselves to you, God, and we allow you to ask the hard questions, we allow you to minister to us. Father, I thank you that we are honest, that we call sin, sin in our life. We acknowledge it and we ask you for forgiveness and we receive with fear and trembling, Lord God, your body that brings us wholeness in Jesus' name. You know, as we prepare the cup, which represents his blood that was poured out on the cross for us, God was speaking to me at the first service about it. He said, there's a couple more at this one. You've never felt like you quite fit in. You've never felt good enough. You've never felt like you're in. And God wants you to know that because he went to the cross for you, you're in. You're his son. You're his daughter. And you don't have to be good enough with him. You just have to kind of show up and start taking on the nature and the character of Christ. And he accepts you as you are. Some of you need to understand, because you've always felt like you're on the outside looking in, like you didn't belong, like you were never a part of anything. And God said he's grafted you into his kingdom. And he calls you his child today. So, Father, as we look to Jesus today with our eyes fixed on you, Lord, I thank you that any idol that tries to get in your place in our heart, we can lay it down at the foot of the cross. We surrender our will to you. We surrender our desires to you, and we ask you to change our hearts every day so that we can truly be image bearers of the Creator. So Lord, today, 
If there's anyone that's blinded by their own deception, Lord, I thank you that truth has come forth from your word and it's raising up a righteous standard and it's revealing the lies for what they are so that people can see clearly in the light in the name of Jesus. So please go ahead and have a seat for just a moment. And uh, just with some of the changes we've made, we don't really have to, we don't take offerings up by passing a bucket anymore. We have ushers standing at the door with the buckets now. But you know, we sow in faith, and I want to thank you all for participating in our ab offering. And I know sometimes over the next few weeks, people are still participating, and some people participate all year because they break it up into little uh, manageable payments. But seed sown is something that God always multiplies. And we thank you for your faithfulness in the area of tithes and the area of offerings, including our ab offering. Thank you all for sowing into the work here. And I just want to pray, Father, as each person here has an opportunity to sow in your kingdom, I thank you that you rebuke the devourer, Lord, that you open heaven and you multiply the seed for those that desire to sow, for those that desire to be a blessing to the poor and to people that don't have as much, and even the seed that's sown into missions, Lord, let it produce much fruit. And I thank you that there's a hedge built up on every side, and that each person that's giving in faith and with joy, Lord, that you reward them. As your word says, you'll be faithful to them in this arena. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you. We hope you have a great Sunday, and we thank you. Be blessed as you go in the rest of your week. The service is dismissed. God bless you all.